0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the What's Next podcast. I am your host, Tiffany Bova. First, let me thank you for spending time with us today, because this is going to be a fantastic conversation with my friend, back for a second time, Jonah Berger. He is a Wharton School professor and internationally bestselling author of Magic Words, Contagious, Invisible Influence, and The Catalyst. Millions of copies of his books are in print in over 35 countries around the world, He's also a world-renowned expert on natural language processing, change, word-of-mouth influence, consumer behavior, and why things catch on. He's published over 80 articles in top-tier academic journals and teaches one of the most popular online courses. But I think one of my favorite, and I think this might be a first, his work was actually a Jeopardy question. And it said, Jonah Berger says, this three-word person-to-person interaction works 10 times better than traditional ads. What is it?
1: Word of mouth.
0: Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me back. It's great to, great to be here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was doing a little poking around. I'm like, I think that might be a first. Like somebody who's got a Jeopardy question. Did you catch the show? Did you know it was happening or someone said it?
1: You know, I wish that I caught the show. I'm not an avid watcher of Jeopardy, but I got a random text message with a picture in it saying, "Hey, you know," and I was like, "What? What is this thing? It looks like a Jeopardy question." They're like, "Did you know you're on Jeopardy?" I was like, "I had no idea, but that's that's pretty cool. I'll take it."
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, good on you. All right, so before we jump into the serious stuff, we're going to start out with bullish and bearish, which you did the last time, and we're going to do it again here. Bullish, you're for it. Bearish, you're against it. Three quick questions. Nothing too painful. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Bullish or bearish? Natural language processing.
1: Oh, that's easy. Bullish.
0: Yeah, that was a softball. All right. Second, follow-up questions. Bullish or bearish?
1: Oh, definitely bullish on that as well.
0: All right. And the third one, a little more fun. Are you bullish or bearish on Cronut's
1: You know, um, I've never actually had a Cronut myself, but uh, I'm all for innovation, particularly in the food space. So I'll I'll be bullish on Cronuts as well. So
0: Cronut, I'm going to guess, is a combination of a croissant and a donut.
1: (laughs) You are exactly right. Yes, it was very popular around, I think, a decade ago or, or something like that. And recently, I think it's the 10-year anniversary or whatever it is. And so I've been roped into a couple of media interviews in places like the New York Times and uh, different outlets on sort of why the cronut caught on and, and what it tells us about food culture online. And, and just the
0: whole, I'm going to guess, and we can lean right into the Jeopardy question, the word of mouth of the cronut.
1: Oh, certainly. I mean, today, and and, and we see so much uh, content online that's about food, whether it's amazingly delicious food, right? I can't believe, you know, they made pizza out of uh, or tortilla and some cheddar cheese, but, you know, so much food stuff happens online and so much of it is through word of mouth. And, and really that's how we find out about so many things in our lives. You know, thinking about that customer journey, whether it's a literal customer that's taking that journey or a business that's taking that journey, awareness is the first step. And, and often that awareness happens through word of mouth.
0: Well, you know, it's fascinating to me that kind of what's old is new again, and and old might be 12 months old, like is new again, because things are moving so fast. But, you know, word of mouth sort of, you know, been, been around for a minute. You know, we've been talking about it for a really long time. Do you think that now it's because there's a new generation of marketer or new generation of brand? So much technology, so much noise. I mean, why do you think, I mean, I know it's a great strategy. So I'm not saying, I'm not questioning the strategy of word of mouth or the power of it but why do you think it consistently gets this resurgence every couple of years where everyone goes, you know what? It's all about word of mouth
1: again. What I think is so interesting is how it's evolved over time, right? So so my, my first book, Contagious, and I think we spoke after that one, came out about a decade ago now in 2013. And I really, I did, I did the work for that book in sort of the, the late 2000s and early 2010s. And when I would talk about that book in you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, a lot of companies are going. Oh, I don't know. What about this word of mouth thing? Aren't you worried people will say negative things? You know, traditional advertising's got to be the way to go. And, and then that evolved, right? And then suddenly people are saying, Oh, you know, word of mouth is definitely valuable but how do we get it and then it became okay influencers are clearly the way to get it on these particular platforms you know people that have a large following and then it became well wait influencers are interesting but maybe it's more these micro influencers that have really close connections with their followers in individual communities and so it's not people with you know tens of millions of followers that lots of people follow but may not have a lot of impact it's really these smaller individuals and and today, when there's you know been so much segmentation of media, and you know nobody sort of I won't say nobody, but fewer people listen to sort of traditional television than have in the past. Many people spend lots of time online, you know, following others, listening to others, collecting information through others. I think word of mouth has certainly evolved. It's it's always been important. You know, it's been important way before the 2000s, way before the internet happened. But but how it's important and how we see it has changed. I think. Organizations now can go on social media and say, wow, all these people are saying these things about us. Maybe we should do something about it, either change what they're saying or encourage them to say certain things. And so, you know, many organizations are still trying to understand how to leverage word of mouth power effectively.
0: Well, I think that's a great segue into magic words, right? Because word of mouth is the usage of words, right? They have to, humans have to, in some medium, online, offline, right? say things to increase influence and captivate audiences and communicate more effectively. But I was struck in doing, you know, research for our conversation today at just how much power words can have. Something as simple as the word could versus word should, right? Maybe you can lean into and start us off with just the power of words and even something that simple.
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'll talk a little bit about could versus should because I think it's a nice concrete example from the book. And, and then maybe if it's okay, I'll zoom out a little bit and, and talk about kind of how, how I got to this book in, in the first place. So some researchers were interested in problem solving. And often we're you know, trying to solve a tough problem. We're, we're at the office. We're trying to figure out how to get something done or how to make two sides feel like they agree or come up with a creative solution for something. And, and we're stuck. And so what do we do in these situations? We often think, well, what should I do? Right? What, what should I do? What is, what is the right answer? And that's the standard way of, of solving problems like that. And, and these researchers wondered, okay, great. That's the standard way of going about it. But could there be a better way? Right? Might a subtle shift in language help us come up with better solutions? And so what they did is they gave people a bunch of tough problems, tough uh, things that required creativity or problem solving or, or various different things. For some people, they encouraged them to use that traditional approach. Hey, think about what you should do. And for other people, they change just one word. Think about what you could do instead. So they encourage them to use coulds rather than than shoulds. And something interesting happened. People that thought in terms of coulds rather than shoulds came up with much more creative solutions and much better solutions overall. And the reason why is that shoulds make us think that there's one right answer. Oh, there's, you know, there's just an answer. And if I think hard, eventually I will get there. But they force us down one narrow path. Whereas what coulds do is they encourage us to think a little more broadly they encourage us to step back and say, hey, what are the possibilities? What are the potential directions we could go after? And and maybe not all those directions make sense, and maybe not all of them are a good idea, but at least by considering them, we can come up with a better solution overall. And so that's just one example, but I think it points to the power of language, right? We need to turn shoulds into coulds. When trying to solve a tough problem ourselves or trying to motivate and help others be more creative, a subtle shift in language can have a big impact. And and this is just one example of the power of language and and how we can use it to increase our impact. You know, I'm not the first person to point out that language matters. Uh, Basically, everything we do uh, involves language, right? You and I are talking right now using language. Language is how we write emails and make phone calls, put together PowerPoint presentations and sales pitches. Language is how we talk to our colleagues and friends and family members. Even our own private thoughts rely on language. But while we spend a lot of time thinking about what we want to get across, the main ideas we want to communicate, we think a lot less about the specific words we use to to share those ideas. And unfortunately, that's a mistake, right? Because as we just talked about, small shifts can have a big, big impact. And and what I think is so powerful is, is, you know, many people say, don't use this word or use this word, or, you know, these are the four things you should or shouldn't say. And unfortunately, most of those things are people's opinions. I love opinions and, you know, people who have expertise, their opinions can often be quite valuable. But what's even more valuable than opinions, whether they're someone else's or mine, is data. And what's happened in the last couple decades is there's been a revolution in how we study language. Right? First of all, so much more language than, than ever before is now digitized. You can press a button at the end of this conversation we're having and a transcript will be spit out of what we said. News articles, the language is captured. Sales pitches or uh, customer service calls are often transcribed. Billions of people every day share their opinions online. We can mine this data for insight. And the second big trend is the tools that are available. Right? Just like the microscope revolutionized chemistry or the telescope changed astronomy, there are these new automated natural language processing tools, automated textual analysis tools that allow us to extract insight from all this data. Right? We can count the presence of certain words, we can use machine learning and other techniques to identify key themes or classify types of text. And so what allows us to understand things about people and the impact of language in ways never thought possible, right? We've, we've looked at thousands of customer service calls to look at the words that agents used and the para language they use that shapes customer satisfaction. We've looked at tens of thousands of pieces of online content to look at what holds attention or how we can write content that will, will grab attention more effectively. We've looked at sales pitches, we've looked at song lyrics, we've looked at movie scripts, we've looked at a variety of different types of language. And so what this book is all about is the insights that have come out of this research, right? What language matters and how by understanding those magic words, we can increase our impact.
0: There's so much you said there, right? <laughs> I know it's like kind of like, oh, how, where do I even start to begin to unpack that? But But I think, you know, the bottom line is that I guess my question back because you were really bullish on on natural language processing right and and now we have these large language models and while well, we have GPT and there is a lot of opportunity for the wrong words right there is a lot of opportunity for misinterpretation or misrepresentation and I and I don't mean inaccurate or misinformation I literally mean it was just like well that wasn't the intent of whatever was ingested by the large language model right that it spit out the other side and as more and more people ask about wow you know our is GPT going to disrupt our copywriters, you know, in the marketing department, are they going to replace our salespeople? Because now we've got automation and bots and we've got GPT that can do email responses. And what do you say back to that? You know, I I know we're on this word conversation, but because of everything you just said, right, the power of it, it can work against you if you're not careful.
1: Yeah, well, so first of all, let's let's be careful. Let's make a, a, a couple of separations between some different things. So um, when we talk about ChatGPT and a, and a lot of the work going on in large language models, what, what these are is they're generating content, right? Part of the excitement, uh, you know, they're going to replace copywriters, all these things, is now rather than people generating content, these systems can, can generate content. Indeed, large strides have been made in the past year or so in the ability of these things to, to produce content that's different than analyzing the content that humans produce to understand what, what is more effective. And, and in some cases, they rely on some of the same underlying infrastructure, right? So word embeddings, document embeddings, um, uh, sentence embeddings, a lot of these tools that can help us understand how language relates to other language relies at its core on, on some of these large language models. But a lot of the work that I and others are doing in this space is not creating new language, it's parsing existing language. Right, taking customer service calls and saying, okay, some of these calls go better and some go worse. Some customers come back and buy from the company, some don't, what are the agents saying that make these calls more effective. Now, what's certainly possible is in the future, rather than people being on those calls, right? We may have generative AI creating content, right? You see uh, models now that can speak uh, and put these things um, into spoken language. And so maybe, you know, we'll be speaking to generative AI rather than just typing back and forth to it or interacting with people. But a key question is still not just okay, can that generative AI system complete the sentence, which they're very good at, right? Very good at sort of figuring out the next word and completing the sentence in a sensible way. That's not just the goal, right? The goal is not just to complete the sentence. The goal is to satisfy that customer. And if we don't understand what drives customer satisfaction, just looking across the web and seeing the best way to complete sentences, the most common way to complete sentences, isn't going to get us that, right? We either have to tune those models by understanding what drives customer satisfaction or use human coders to guide their output. And so I think these are two parallel streams of work that's going on. Interesting stuff going on in generative AI, but regardless of content production, we still need to understand what works, what what increases human's impact or the impact of language so that we can produce better models to increase their own impact as well.
0: Yeah, I mean we've got technology that you know can listen to calls, take, you know, unstructured data And then say, you just had a call with a customer, like what could you have said better? What should you have said better? You know, what's a potential email for you to draft or even, you know, in customer service representatives. But, you know, I I think I always come back and say, but to just blindly then go, great, send it without a human looking at it, right? And going back to that intention of the words or saying something like, we wouldn't say it that way or it's off brand or I wouldn't use that word or right. If that's why I was trying to sort of dig into while it may help in the, yeah, let's say 80% of it. I'm making up these numbers, right? You want humans to, to still be that wrapper around it. um, Unless it's something super basic, right? Like, are you open now? Yes. No. Like that, that doesn't need any sort of opinion to it. Right. But if you're going to say, Hey, listen, you know, I think you should buy this and buy it now. Like, is that motivate our customers? We know that it doesn't. Like they want to know some value equation yes. in that. Right. And then say, we know this is important to you because you did these three things with us. And we, you know, we believe this is what you, or you could do this next, or you should do this next to go yeah. by those words we just used.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll even give you a great example. So there's some recent research that shows that often when people deal with goal failure, right? So not turning in a report, not exercising, spending too much time on social media, doing something they didn't want to do, most people say, I didn't have time, right? Um, In the preponderance of time, we say, "We, we didn't have time. And so if one of these generative systems took all the language on the internet and used it to create language, then it would say, when we failed at our goals, it would say, I didn't have time. And so people might write back to their boss, you know, why didn't you do that? I didn't have time. But what research finds is if rather than saying I didn't have time, We say, I didn't make time, right? Saying that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, by the way, because it makes us feel like we are in control of our time and we didn't make the choice to get something done. But if we fail and instead of saying, I don't have time, we say, I didn't make time, right? We're much more likely to succeed in the future. We're much more likely to hit that goal the next time the opportunity comes up because we realize that we are in control of our time. It's not that time is out there and we didn't just have enough. We didn't make time to do something makes us more likely to make time next time around. And so I think the, the work in generative AI is great um, and is, is certainly progressing at an amazing rate. We still need work on behavioral science to understand the language that works, whether it's motivating people, generating creativity, increasing our influence, all of those things. So that if we want to build more effective large language models, more effective generative AI, we understand the people that they're interacting.
0: Well, you know, I, I, I couldn't have a conversation with you about language without getting into GPT. I mean, I would be totally remiss had I not done that because I think it's a you know, I think everyone's trying to figure out how to use it, where to use it, why to use it, when to use it. Is it right to use it? I mean, it's we're kind of in that, we're screaming up the hype cycle at the moment, right? We are right at this, like, you know, it's going to sort of solve all of our problems and all of our ills. And I'm waiting for the trough of disillusionment to come soon. Yes.
1: <laughs> like the crash and burn and figuring it out. And, and you know what I'll say? You know, I, people love technology, right? And people love new things because it's like, you know what? You know the reason that we didn't stick to our diets is because we weren't on the low-carb diet. And, you know, the reason that we're not successful at the office, it's not because of us. It's because we're not leveraging this new technology. And If we just leverage this new technology, everything will be different. And so it's clear why we like technology. But it's clear why we like this notion that there's a savior that's going to change anything. I think the, the simpler answer, the more accurate answer is we've just got to understand how to use language, right? We've got to understand, okay, should I say, I, I, what could I do or what should I do? Um, you know, when I'm asking somebody to help me with something, uh, should I say, hey, can you help me? Or should I say, hey, can you be a helper, right? Research shows that uh, turning actions into identities rather than asking for help, asking someone to be a helper, rather than ask them to vote, ask them to be a voter, those things increase the likelihood that people engage in, in those actions. It's not a magic machine that's doing it. Uh, it's not new technology. It's just us taking a little bit of effort to understand what drives human behavior. And so the, the book is divided into different types of language. Um, there's a, a nice framework uh, called the SPEAK framework. The S is for the language of similarity and difference. The P is for the language of posing questions. Uh, we got into that a little bit in, in one of your bearish or bullish questions earlier. Uh, the E is for the language of emotion. The A is for the language of agency and identity. There are two Cs. One is the language of confidence and one is the language of concreteness. I know there should be a K, but I wasn't uh, clever enough to come up with a K to end it. But so each keep of these going. is a type of language. That... Keep
0: it going. Keep learning. Keep, keep it, it going. going. There
1: we go. Um, <laughs> uh, but each of these is a type of language and underneath each, there's a bunch of psychology and, and some ways that we can apply
0: it. Well, you know, you sort of teach the next generation. <laughs> So I'm going to guess that maybe you have also seen how communication has changed in that just education space, right? You could go, when I was teaching students 15 years ago, you know, maybe it was sort of this way to influence, you know, then five years ago, you know, or 10 years ago and five years ago. And now, you know, is it, do, do you see generationally how language is different in how people communicate, you know, I think it is much shorter now. It just, in my opinion, like I see it be very more short, bursty, shorthanded. You know what I mean? It's not very verbose yeah. and thoughtful. And, yeah. and I don't say thoughtful, like in a bad way. I just mean, like, I'm trying to have a discussion here. I, I, you know, I, and I find in many cases, I have to couch what I'm saying. Okay. This is not, you know, I'm not, Dogging on what you're doing. I'm not saying the baby's ugly. Like I'm we I'm trying to have a constructive conversation and I'm kind of having to set it up a lot more now than I might have had to in the past. Do you find that you've had to, you know, because I'm gonna guess you have different generations in in your classrooms and within the online course? Do you find yourself having to float between different communication styles because of maybe who your audience is.
1: You know, I think part of what you're alluding to is the mediums we communicate through have changed. Right? So so there there are various mediums that we communicate through. One is modality, right? Are we speaking or are we writing? And we have always done a lot of speaking. We've always done some writing right? Um, uh, You know, writing letters, for example, many, many years ago. But now we are writing text and we're writing email and we're jotting off a lot of communication that way. There's also the devices that we communicate through. when we're when we're talking uh, face to face we're not using a device but we can write through our phones we can write over the computer we can speak over the computer or over our phones and there are also the channels we communicate through right text versus email both of those happen on, on can both happen on a mobile phone both involve writing but there are different things associated with those channels that can shape communication right and and because so many people have used text for much longer now than let's say 10 or 20 years ago because many people grew up using text that has shifted communication to fit more with the norms uh, of texting, not just writing in general, but that specific sort of shorthand, quick format that's a norm to that particular medium uh, of communication. And so I think we're seeing a lot of different things that are changing here. You know, people now can voice to text in a way that wasn't possible previously. It's gotten a lot better. What's interesting about that, though, is when we communicate via voice rather than writing, changes how we communicate, right? When, when we write, we tend to be a little bit more deliberative. We tend to think through what we're going to say, not not only before we actually write it, but actually we can go back and edit it. Whereas when we speak, one, we, we can't edit while speaking. We can only speak and then stop and go back and, and re-record it. But we don't have as much time while we're creating the content or to edit it on, on the back end. And so that has some implications. right? Writing tends to be better organized, uh, it tends to be less emotional, where speaking is more emotional uh, and not as well organized. And so, this has some interesting implications for the outcomes of our of our communications. There are, are cases where more structured, thoughtful, less emotional communication is good. And there are cases where more or less structured, you know, more emotional, more sort of quick and fast communication is, is better. And so thinking about these different means of communicating affects the message we communicate and and the impact of that message as well.
0: Well, for our listeners, you know, as we wrap this up, what would be Your advice to people who want to really communicate better, right? Speaking with power. Speaking with certainty, building trust in their words, influencing—you know—a lot of the things we've talked through using your speak framework. Beyond, of course, uh, reading the book uh, because that's that's a given, right? Magic words, what to say to get your way, even getting kids to take out the trash. I'm sure there's some lessons in there for that. So, <laughs> not just people who work for you. But what what would be your your advice to those that are really trying to go on this communication journey of improving the way that they speak, but also the words that they use?
1: You know, I think it comes down to behavioral science, right? We really have to understand why people do what they do and, and how different things impact them, whether it's about you know forming better connections with our colleagues or our employees or our, our spouses and partners, whether it's influencing others in a sales context or when making a speech within a firm, whether it's increasing our creativity, whether it's helping us stick to our goals. There are so many domains where we wanna increase our impact and where we use language, But technology is great, but technology is not going to solve it for us, right? Technology may allow us to create content faster, but if we want to create better content, whether we want to have more impact with our words, we have to understand the behavioral science. And and that comes down to understanding people and, and why they do what they do.
0: Well, it's been such a fantastic but quick conversation, Jonah. You know, I know that we could keep going and going because I'm just so inspired by how you approach and tackle something as obvious and basic as words that we use, (laughs) you know, all day. Um, And that's why you are as successful as you are, not only being an academic, but, you know, really studying things like this to make them digestible for everybody. So, you know, great job on another amazing book. Again, if you haven't read it, picked it up, Magic Words, What to Say to Get Your Way by Jonah Berger. Jonah, thank you for joining me again for a second time on this episode of What's Next.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, everybody. So thank you for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe, leave some feedback, tell your friends. Word of mouth is my friend. So go out there and use it. And I'll look forward to having you join me next time. Have a great rest of your day.